0: Have you ever read through the book of Judges in the Bible? If you haven't, it is a fascinating book full of the most unlikely of heroes. If you haven't read it for a while or if you've actually never read it, I really encourage you to check it out. You'll be amazed at how God uses regular, everyday people and he brings power upon them and and moves their heart to do extraordinary things. And by the way, that's actually what a judge is in the book of Judges. Don't think uh, like Judge Judy. Uh, She's been on on TV for 25 years. In the book of Judges, there's no courtroom. It's not that type of a setting. There's no jury or bailiff or lawyers. What a judge is, is a simple, everyday believer. Regular Joe believer. I guess we're Old Testament, so like, Jehoshaphat believer. And that believer then is just called by God to deliver God's people. And by the way, God's people needed that a lot, especially in the book of Judges. There's this repetitive cycle that ends up happening in the book of Judges because they didn't have a great leader. Their last great leader was Joshua, the guy that God used to move the Israelites out of wandering in the wilderness and into the promised land, into modern-day Israel. After Joshua died, there's like, poof, no one that were, that was a great leader for the Israelite nation. And so they did this pattern, this pattern of, I'm going to follow God, and then eh, they forget about God, and there's consequences of the sin, they go, I'm never doing that again. And they fall back in the same pattern, and consequences of sin, and God be faithful to you, and over, and over, and over again. By the way, who does that remind you of in your life? Who is it that you love? Who is it that you care for and your heart just breaks and shatters because they continue to break your heart because of all the broken promises that are there? Who is it that you love that has this addiction weighing on them, gripped onto them to alcohol or to drugs? Who is it that you love that is a habitual liar and just can never follow through? Who is it that you love that has got destructive anger? Who is it that you love that is just hurting? I want you to be a judge for that person. Actually, that's what this video and all of these videos in this series, they're going to be about, about you being a judge for that person. Now, again, don't think like a gavel and giving a verdict. My encouragement for you, my hope for you, and what we'll be talking about in this series, is to be a judge like in the book of Judges. To be the one that God puts power on, encouragement on, and moves a heart. To go help other people, that specific person that's been on your heart, that's on your heart right now. To show them their need for Jesus and then lead them, to lead them into true, lasting peace that comes only in Christ. Now why would, Why would you do that? Well, God gives you this encouragement. This is in the the book of Galatians. We're talking chapter six right here. And it says this it says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. God encourages you. God's calling you right now to be the one, to be the one that goes to that friend who is in need and to help them to carry what is burdening them and then show them not just the law of Christ, where they've messed up, but also the love of Christ. How do you do that? Well, it starts with this. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, you've moved our hearts to think of someone right now. Maybe several people, but let's focus on one. One person that's hurting right now. And our hearts, Lord, are are hurting with them. Make us bold to be the one that goes into them when so many people have given up. May we be the ones that you have moved a heart to show love to them that are hurting. Lord, we entrust this whole process to your care and we ask that you give us that wisdom of the words to speak. And we pray that you interrupt, that you interrupt God, the plans of negativity the devil has against them. And use us to be the one to show them you, to show them your love. Or Jesus, make us bold to be that believer. In your name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite unexpected interactions that Jesus has with his disciples, it occurs in Matthew, chapter 9. And what Jesus does, he's, he's like looking out with the disciples and just seeing the sea of humanity that's there and, and Christ's heart is hurting because he knows how many of them just don't love him, they don't know the Father in heaven and they're going away from eternal paradise and joy. and is Jesus' heart is hurting? He talks to his disciples. Like, we just need we need more workers, more people that can bring the, the gospel to these hurting hearts. And so Jesus says we should we should pray about that, that God would send more workers out there. So this is recorded in Matthew chapter 9, as I said. Here it is, right at the end of the chapter. Jesus says, This the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus has this prayer with his disciples, finishes the prayer, and then basically, you see in chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 12. Jesus finishes the prayer and he's like, well, hey, would you look at that? God answered our prayer. You, you disciples, you are the answer of this prayer. You are going to be the ones going out there to help the world. Do you see what Jesus did there? In the previous video in this series, and we're studying Judges chapter 3 in the Bible. In the previous video, I talked to you about someone that you know. Someone that you love that's that's struggling in life. And I encouraged you to be the one to interrupt, to go to help them. Would you look at that? God answered our prayer. Uh, Once again, now you, you are the one that, that God is sending out. And maybe in this video right now, or in the previous video, you maybe got a pit in your stomach a little bit that goes, uh, am I really the right choice? Am I really the right one? By the way, when you read Judges chapter 3, Ehud in Judges chapter 3 felt the same exact way. Ehud was this regular, everyday believer of God. And then God called him to be the one to deliver the Israelite nation. But he felt unqualified, the wrong choice. And the, the weird reason why, uh, I have it recorded for you here in Scripture, I want to read this for you. Why Ehud felt like he was the wrong choice. Uh, Judges, chapter 3, we're verse 15. Here it is. And the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer, a, a judge. Ehud, here it is, a left-handed man. What? <laughs> why did God choose to record that? And why would that actually make Ehud this unpopular, uh, the, the seemingly wrong choice? Well, there's a practical reason. But before we get to that, first of all, to all my left-handed friends out there, God loves you, okay? You're, you're whole in Jesus. God loves you. But there's a, there's a practical reason why Ehud being left-handed was seemingly the wrong choice to bring a military judgment upon the king who was oppressing the Israelites. Here it is. The Israelites all fought, and soldiers back then, all fought right-handed. So you're standing in a line, they all fought right-handed. If Ehud was left-handed, I realize this is the right side of your screen, but this is my left hand. Um, If Ehud fought left-handed, his arm would run into the arm of the guy right next to him. So like their swords would knock into each other, they couldn't defend themselves, they were vulnerable. And then Ehud's right hand didn't have a sword and this guy's left hand didn't have a sword. There's this this big section where they were vulnerable. To fight left-handed meant you were a a liability, a vulnerability to the other people around. So think of Ehud like a military reject. Weird that God would choose him. And then, I don't read this, but then it says he was a Benjamite. So like from the tribe of Benjamin. And back then Birth order was a huge deal. Benjamin was the youngest of Jacob's sons. And so he's, again, the unlikely choice. And, and the tribe of Benjamin was like one of the smallest tribes. It just makes no sense. And yet God looked at Ehud and said, You're perfect. You're the one. Way too often we can feel like, I'm, I'm not qualified to be the person. To go to someone that I love and I see them hurting, but man, I'm, I'm just not the one to... To help them. Like, I don't know the the Bible well enough. Like, what if they ask me a question and I get it wrong? Like, I, I, I can make it worse. I'm not, I'm not the right one. Or I'm not skilled in grief counseling. Like, I don't know how to help them through this or addiction and, and how to get them on the right pathway. Like, I don't know this stuff. I'm not good into social work. Um, And if you've met me, like, I kind of jacked up my own life. <laughs> I'd, I'd be a hypocrite to show someone else how to live. I'm just, I'm not the right one. And here's the amazing thing. God looks at you and says, you're perfect. You're the one. Let me explain why. Your friend doesn't need someone who has all the answers. You know what your friend needs? A friend. A friend who's going to be obvious. A friend that's going to be intentional. A friend who's going to go in when everyone else has gone out, and that's the type of person that God sees in you to be to that one that you love. By the way, when you read the whole Bible, God has a has a history of using the unexpected. Moses stuttered, right? He's supposed to deliver the message, let God's people go, right? And Moses stuttered, and God chose him. David murdered. Noah got drunk. And James and John, disciples of Jesus, had wicked, wicked bad tempers. And God looked at them and said, you're, you're the right choice. God looks at you and says the same thing. God chooses you. He's chosen you. He wants you to be the one. To be the one that goes in to that friend who's in need and to be there with them and introduce them to the peace, the love, that comes in Jesus. You've got power in that message. And that message works. Be not afraid. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you. You were the unexpected choice. You were the unexpected one that would be our Savior. Born to unwed parents, to a conquered nation of people in a backwater town. But, Jesus, you were perfect. You are perfect. And you've given us that perfection. Lord, may we never look at ourselves and think, I am unworthy because you've made us worthy. And we bring a message of peace that transforms lives. Lord, move our hearts to be the one, to be the friend that goes in to share the love of Jesus, your love with that friend who is in need. Give us that boldness. Amen. So what is the scariest thing that you've ever had to do or get through in your life? If there's a way that we could have every single person that watches these videos and all the different platforms that we have out there to submit their story in one spot, I'm sure there'd be crazy, mind-bending, scary stories that are out there. Things that you've had to endure that God has gotten you through. As I thought about how I would answer this question, I actually almost removed it as the opening to this video because I don't know that I've got like a big story this big thing that I've endured, like, I've never been shot at. I've never been in a burning building. I've never been a big car crash. Like, there's not anything that's been massively terrifying to me. But there's one thing that sticks out. I think I was maybe about 11 years old or something like that. And my brother was being electrocuted by some faulty wiring from, like, an outlet. And so he was stuck to it. He was just shaking and he was stuck to it. And I knew that it could have overcome him, like, kill him. But I also knew enough that I could just touch him and be like, are you okay? Because I could be frozen to it as well. So I I backed up and I went running at my brother and like tackled him, (laughs) you know. uh, Sean, you're welcome, uh, once again, that I did that for you. I mean, it was a scary thing in that moment, but maybe not the biggest thing, maybe compared to what you've endured. If we had the ability to ask Ehud from Judges chapter three, what's the scariest thing that you've ever done in your life? His answer is going to be pretty obvious. Who is Ehud? If you're just joining me in this series, Ehud is this regular, everyday believer. I lived thousands of years ago. The Israelites were conquered by King Eglon. And God moved the heart of Ehud to go out there and to be the one to bring this, this message of judgment upon King Eglon. So, here's the story. This is how it goes down. It's It's actually kind of terrifying. So Ehud has to go bring tribute uh, to King Eglon. The goal to get rid of Eglon so the Israelites have peace, all right? And so he gives tribute to King Eglon. If you don't know what that is, it's it's like pay off so that the king doesn't brutalize you. You know, money or crops or animals. And as long as King uh, Eglon got his payment, he went going like a killing spree, all right? So Ehud gives this tribute over to Eglon and he's, he's happy, he's thrilled. Ehud leaves. Then he comes back to bring the message. Here's the scary part. Now, Ehud, the Bible tells us, hid a a sword on his right thigh. And when he went in, the soldiers guarding the king go, Oh, it's Ehud. He's back. And they they trusted him because he already paid him the tribute. So they kind of half-checked him. They checked for a sword but on Ehud's left thigh because soldiers back then, I had this in my last video, were right-handed. And so, the sword would be on their left side to, to pull it out. So, they check the left thigh and no sword. They're like, he's fine. He's, he's totally good. And so, the Ehud says to the king, Hey, king. I got this, like, secret message for you. Eglon goes, ooh, good. All right. Soldiers, you can all leave. Uh, this guy is good. So, they all leave. And he's got this hidden weapon. Now, Ehud, left hand, now right hand, right side of your screen, but my actual left hand. Ehud goes up to the king and grabs the sword out and then, well, let me read it for you. So here it is, Judges chapter three. Ehud reached with his left hand and drew the sword from his right, thro- right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, which came out his back. Ehud did not pull out the sword, The fat closed in over it. Did you know this was in the Bible? Uh, If you don't know this story, there's probably a good reason why this is not a story that's told in Sunday school, right? Hey kids, gather around. I got a story for you from God's word. Like, this is wild, wild stuff. But when when Ehud delivered this message of judgment from God upon this evil king, Eglon, it brought peace to the Israelite nation for 80 years years. Now, in this video series, I've been encouraging you to have in your heart someone that you love that's living a a difficult life. They're a life of addiction, a life of anger, a life of sin, and they're in a difficult, terrible spot, and they just keep that repetitive pattern. Ehud had the job from God to bring a message of judgment. You know, sometimes God has us bring a very difficult and almost harsh message and sometimes you have to do that as well because the law hurts. It does. Now, I'm, I'm not advocating whatsoever that you have a sword hidden on your, on your right thigh. But I am asking you, well, God is asking you to use the double-edged sword of his word. Because God's law cuts out sin and that's what we need. We need that sin to be removed so that we don't focus on sin, but that we see Savior. And then we reach out to him and God is asking you to, to be the one who calls sin for, for what it is. Sin. God is calling you to love your friend enough to say what you're doing right now is, it's dangerous and it's not healthy, and it's not good. And I love you enough that I'm going to talk to you about this. And that's a difficult talk, but it's a talk that needs to happen so that we can realize, so that person can realize, I need Jesus. Not this. This is destroying me. But God would love me. And he does love me. Be the friend. Be the one. Be the one willing to call out sin for sin. And by the way, One of the best ways that you can do that is by, first of all, modeling it for your friend. None of us are perfect. So my question for you, as I'm going to close this video, is this. What sin are you holding? What is it that you have become okay with? Because God's not okay with it either. I'm going to be Ehud to you for a moment right now. And for you to say, enough's enough. I don't want this sin. I don't need this sin. It's destroying me. I need a savior and I I need Jesus. I care about you enough to call out sin for what sin is. And for both of us, but then all of us, to see the love of Christ. Let's, Let's pray. Lord God, none of us are perfect. We all have need. We all have sin. Lord, cut it out. Make it obvious to us by our own conscience. Make it obvious to us by a friend who cares about enough, us enough to come to us. May we repent of that sin and give it over to you and know, Jesus, that your scarred hands of love have taken it completely, fully, and forever away from us. May we live in peace and then be the one, to be the one who brings that message of peace to the friend that we love. Give us that boldness. In your name we pray. Amen. In this video series, I've been telling you the story of Ehud. He's this regular guy in Judges, chapter 3. And in the last video, we talked about his kind of 007 James Bond thing that he did, where he comes in and brings this message of judgment upon this king, King Eglon, who was oppressing the Israelites. We, We read from the text of the Bible, it was kind of crazy, where it says that Ehud pushes in the sword into the gut of King Eglon, his fat covers over it, and we're like, that's not a story you'd tell in Sunday school. Well, here's the rest of the story. Once again, not a story you're gonna hear in Sunday school, but after he cuts in, Ehud cuts into King Eglon, it says that the king's guts, like, spilled out. In other words, the contents of the intestines of King Eglon, like, oozed out of him onto the floor. I, I know, that's a very graphic word. Uh, but it gets the point across about how just messy and nasty this was. But by the way, that's how Ehud made his escape, his escape at this point. So there's actually three different ways people think that he made his escape. Uh, his escape. So the king ends up dying and Ehud locks the doors and then some people think he like repels out of a window, which is possible. We don't know if it was like a high two-story or he could have gone down some like sheets or something. We don't know. It's possible. So some, some people think he locked the door and just walked past the soldiers, like, all right, I'm done. Like, see you later. And then just walked on. Other people think that he climbed out like the sewer pipes. Like, think Andy Dufresne, like Shawshank Redemption, like kind of where you go poop, right? and like that's where he's he's getting out and part of the reason people think this is because again his intestines the king's intestines spilled out and the bible tells us the soldiers then come up and the doors are locked and they waited outside and the bible even says that they thought the king was in the bathroom because like it reeks so bad like they thought he was like unleashing it in the bathroom you know and the bible even tells us that's how ehud made his escape crazy, wild stuff in the Bible. But clearly, this was a messy scene. And by the way, it can get messy when you serve Jesus. It can get messy when you go and you talk to that friend that you know, that you love, that is just struggling with life choices right now. And in a previous video, I gave you the encouragement to be the one that calls out sin for sin. And I want to warn you right now, then it might get messy when you do that. Um, people defend themselves. And one of the way they defend themselves is by attacking you. And that stops a lot of people. And maybe it stopped you. And you see your friend hurting and in need, and you go, I, I, don't, I don't want that. I don't want to have it get messy. And yet God encouraged you to, to not worry about the mess, but instead focus on them and to focus on their need. Maybe this isn't a perfect analogy, but it kind of works. I think it does. When you're cleaning your room, what happens? Like if you're, your bedroom's a mess and you're like, ah, i gotta got to fix this thing. And you make a bigger mess, right? You pull stuff out and you put it over here. You don't know, put it away and you come back in later. And you're like, it's worse. But eventually the the room gets clean. Time and focus, it gets clean. I want to warn you that things are going to get messy, more than likely, But don't be afraid of the mess. And God, the the powerful Lord God, creator of the universe, wants to bless this. You going and being the one to that friend and need, And it might get messy for a while, but with time and focus, and especially with the blessing of the Lord, they can get their lives cleaned up. Inwardly, that's what they need. Inwardly, that's what you know that they need and what you want for them. Don't be afraid of the mess. In fact, God gives you an encouragement about that. We're in Luke, chapter 21. I just, I love these words. I love them. God says this. He says, But make up your mind not to worry beforehand about how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Make up your mind ahead of time. Do, do not worry. <laughs> God goes with you. The holy God of the universe loves you. The holy God of the universe loves your friend that is in need. Be the one that goes to them with the gospel message of peace of Jesus. And watch God do what God does. Do not worry. God will give you what to say. During the videos in this series, I've been talking to you about this guy named Ehud. He's in Judges, chapter 3. Regular guy that God calls to do some pretty powerful, amazing things. And as I was reading through Judges 3 over and over, just kind of trying to get the story down really well and how would I break this down, I noticed that after Ehud's story finishes, right in the bottom of chapter 3, there's another little heading there and it said, Shamgar. And then there's like one tiny little verse. I was like, what in the world is this all about? Like, one guy, one verse? And I, it just kind of shocked me that he gets like this footnote, this afterthought, like a participation trophy, (laughs) right? But at least he gets mentioned. Like, I want to read you, for you, about this guy, uh, Shamgar. And here it is. This is Judges 3, verse 31. Right at the end of the chapter, it says, After Ehud came Shamgar. So Shamgar doesn't even get his own verse to himself. He's like right in the coattails of this special forces operative that I've been talking about in the previous videos from Ehud. But it says this, it says, After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. Like, I I want to know more <laughs> of this story. Like, He took on this, this one guy, took on 600 Philistines and won. Like, I want to know the the story behind this. But he gets just one teeny tiny little verse. An honorable mention in the Bible. And by the way, what's what's an ox goad? Do you know? I didn't know. I I had to look it up. Uh, An ox goad, apparently, uh, is this long pole with this, like, metal tip at the end. And they would use it to poke... Uh, an ox to make it go faster. If it's like pulling a plow or a wagon or something like that. And that was the weapon of choice that Shamgar used. Again, I want more. (laughs) I I want to hear more about this story, but that's it. Just one little, teeny tiny little verse. Do you think Shamgar is in heaven right now, like bummed out? Like, man, I made the Bible, but like only one teeny, like small little verse. like. That's it. Do you think he's bummed out in heaven right now? Or do you think like Ehud, when he's walking through heaven and he sees Shamgar sitting there, and do you think Ehud kind of like tough talks him a little bit? Like Ehud is is hanging out with Samson, who's also in the Bible. Uh, Samson gets chapters. Ehud gets like almost a whole chapter. Do you think they walk by Shamgar in heaven? They're like, what's up, one verse? <laughs> and then like run away and like push each other and stuff. Not a chance, Right. Uh, In heaven, Shamgar is not sad. None of us have sadness or depression or feel badly about anything. There's just joy on top of joy because of Jesus. In heaven, no one's going to tough talk you or mock you or make fun of you. Like Ehud and Samson, they're they're not going to do that either. And the reason I know that, for one, the Bible talks so clearly about the joy of what heaven is. But also these people written about in the book of Judges. They didn't serve so that their names would live on. They served so that the name of Jesus would be proclaimed. Shamgar is a great example to us. He lived, he lived for an audience of one. To serve and have it be all about God and not about me. In the videos this week, I've been encouraging you to go out there and to be the one, to be the one to help that friend who is in need. And in big ways or small ways, and way too often the devil can tempt us to look at our service and go, hmm, is it worth it? I mean, I'm busy. Is it worth my time to go do that? Is it worth it for me? It might get messy, so I I don't want that. And so just I'm not gonna do that. And is it worth my ROI, my return on investment of time? I think Shamgar is a great example for us to to not look at that, not to count the costs and go, is this too much or too little for me to do? But instead, to just serve. Friends, if it's good to do good, then do good. If God has put it on your heart to do something for someone else, then don't uh, push that down. Don't suppress that. Don't stop that. To go to serve, to help, to be the one that God uses to help others, other people in need. I want to give you this encouragement. This comes from Galatians chapter 6. And, and it says this, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good. Don't get overwhelmed by it and go, I've done too much. It's someone else. No, just keep serving. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, As we have opportunity, let us do good to to all people. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. My question for you is this. What is left undone for you? What is it for that friend in need? Or maybe there's something else that's hitting your heart right now. And you go, yeah, I've been holding back on that. What is it that God is pressing on your heart to do? And to serve? Don't count the cost. It's good to do good and do good. And leave the results up to God. Again, that's exactly what Jesus did for you. He saw your need and he did not count the cost. He saw what you needed and he was the one. The one called by God, given by God, to be the one to save you, to redeem you, change your life so that you know what it's like to be in heaven and to have that incredible joy. To hang out with Ehud, to hang out with Shamgar and Samson, all the believers. Stand along them. Celebrate God in glory. Thank you, Jesus. May he then move our hearts to be the one to serve. Don't count the cost. Live for an audience of one. As you were listening today, did someone you know and love come to mind? Well, that's the perfect next step that God is putting on your heart to share this episode. So many people hear about Jesus through the simple invitation of someone they know, love, and trust. So enjoy sharing this with someone that you know, and may God bless you as you do.